0: We're talking about the medical heritage of ancient India, I'll show you that we had the most ancient medical systems in the world impacting every civilization of the world. So uh, in the hermeneutics of Ayurveda, surendranath Dasgupta, he says medicine was the most important of physical sciences it was intimately connected with Samkhya and Vaisheshika physics Is the origin of logical statements encoded in Nyaya Sutra. Everything needs a killer application, right? Once you have a killer application, then your thinking is very clear. And he says medicine was a killer application. In order to diagnose what a person has, you must logically go could it be this, could it be that, could it be this, could it be that, and that kind of a thing. So he said it is the origin of logical statements. So uh, we are not going to talk about this very much over here. Atravaveda, And Ayurveda, so basically wanted to show that Indian thinking always existed in cooperation with the philosophy of the land. There was no break between this is science, this is philosophy, everything was entied with each other. So how was disease and ill health seen? Disease and ill health was seen due to unwholesome diet which required Ayurveda to cure. Or if you look at the psychological aspects, due to your karma phala and transgressions, that's why you have a certain condition, maybe mental condition or something else. It required Prayaschitta and Atharva Veda to practice rituals and other such things to cure. So in other words, it's a very neat understanding of both the physical aspect as well as the mental aspect and uh, these kinds of things. Shishruta, we all, we all know, he wrote Shushruta Samhita, 120 chapters in five sections plus 66 six later interpolations into this. He discusses a whole lot of subjects as you can see over here, describes 1120 diseases, Describes the human anatomy, how many bones, muscles, veins and so on, describes surgical methods. I am not going to read these things and he also describes 121 surgical instruments. So that is the enormous uh, uh, scientific uh, uh, encoding in this compendium that he did, shushruta Samhita. Here's an example of the palm leaf uh, Sushruta Samhita, this is from the L.A. County Museum. It's a 12th century work in Nepal. That's how these works survived. And until such time it was committed down to the modern book and other such things. Uh, They were written in palm leaves like this. So here are some of the uh, surgical instruments that is there in Sushruta Samhita. And you can take a look at this and say, wow, these look like modern instruments over here. But then this is used by Indians at a very ancient time for uh, all kinds of operations. He also used a cadaver. Today we think that dissection and other things came from the West and they are the ones from Galen onwards, Roman times, those are the people who did these things. But if you take a look in Shushita Samhita it says, cover a dead body with kusa grass, place it on the edge of the water of a rivulet after three days, take it out and wipe out successive layers of epidermis and dermis of the muscles beneath by gently rubbing it over the soft brush. Thus the smallest and thinnest arteries which would have swelled and obtained a distinct extinction are made palpable ev- everywhere even to the minutest details. In other words, he said how we can use a dead body to understand the internal uh, working of the organs and things like that. This is there in Shushruta Samhita. Charaka Samhita, so these are all western timelines over here. So it's, it got its inspiration from Atharva Veda which went to Punarvashivatriya, the Bela Samhita, Agni Vesa's work, then to Charaka Samhita, then to Dhridhbala. This is the uh, citation trial for these works. Once again, 120 chapters and eight sthanas, I'm not going to read these things, Were very, very intricate knowledge of diseases and uh, treatments and how we do various uh, things. Very, very inter- interesting. I'd like to talk to you about Boa Manuscript. Boa Manuscript is the earliest extant. Uh, manuscript that we have of Indian medicine. This was found in Xinjiang province in 1890 bark document written in Prakrit Gupta Brahmi script. It seems to be a subset of Charaka Samhita refers to Rishi's Atriya, Harita, Parashara, Garga, Shishruta, Vashishta and accepts the doshas: three doshas Vata, Pita, Kapa but also talks of Rakta dosha. This was translated by Rudolf Hornu in this particular work and uh, this is how it appears. So. Rudolf Hornell was a person who dated Sushruta to around 600 BCE. And how did he do that? He basically said the Jataka records that medicine was taught in Takshashila as well as in Kashi. So he places Sushruta to the east at Kashi and Charaka as a physician in the court of King Kanishka and Atreya as a contemporary of Sushruta and Takshila. So one person he places here, other person he places over here. Then he places Yajnavalkya, author of Shatapatha Brahmana in the court of King Janaka of Vaidehi and is a contemporary of Ajatashatru. Then he uses Weber's work to place Yajnavalkya to 500 BCE. Why is is that important? Because he says Shatapatha Brahmana seems to be aware of the bones described in Shushruta and not the bones in Atriya. So based on intricate understanding of the bone structure, he makes certain claims that Shatapatha Brahmana seems to have knowledge of the bones of Sushruta Because of that, he says, Yagnivalki has is dated to 500 BCE, therefore 100 years before him I will place Shushruta and give 600 BCE, as arbitrary as that. But we can go and see if there is any other way we can date Shatapatha Brahmana. Shatapatha Brahmana was uh, deciphered in 1893 by both uh, uh, Dikshit as well as Balagangadar Tilak, we already talked about this, and basically they used uh, Kritika. And they tried to say the uh, Kritika would have a heliacal rising in 2982 BCE. You can't understand this picture over here because uh, this is talking about precision. So uh, 2982 BCE, we don't have a pole star. This is our pole star. In the current time, this would be at the center over here. But this is how much in the past uh, we would have moved. So Kritika in 2982 BCE was on the celestial equator. Today it is somewhere over here because of precision. So we know that Shatapatha Brahmana should be dated to 2982 BCE and because of that Shatapatha Brahmana that uh, mentions this Kritika uh, phenomenon is in this date and based upon knowledge of bones Shushruta and uh, Punarusha atraya should also be before 2982 BCE and Charaka after this. So bottom line we are using the same methods of Rudolf Hornell to date Shushruta, and Shushruta's lower bound comes to at least 2982 BCE. So I have a combined section over here for all the knowledge systems to talk about knowledge transfer. So very quickly talk about knowledge transfer. We know that there was ancient climate change approximately in 2000 BCE. If you look at this Nature paper, 2014, 200-year drought doomed the Indus Valley civilization. A genetics paper that says empty DNA from Bronze Age such as a link between Indian subcontinent and Mesopotamian cradle of civilization. This paper came out just in July of 2019 that says the zebu was found in Mitanni and Hittite lands and it talks about how there was a migration from the Indus Valley area 4.2 thousand years ago and that had the presence of zebu cattle in the Mitanni lands. So we know that approximately 4000 years ago, there was huge migrations out of India to places where water was in the Euphrates, Tigris and uh, those kind of areas. Isn't it amazing that if you look at Egyptian medicine or Hittites or anything, they don't have any evidence of any knowledge until after 1800 and 1500 BCE. Their earliest medical texts, the uh, Smith Papyrus, Ebers Papyrus, and the Cahun Papyrus all of these things are only after 800, 1800 BCE, after the migrations have taken place, that is when you see evidence of these, are contents of magic, trauma, surgery, gynecology, and gynecology, surgery, magic, all these things were contents of Atharvaveda. all of these things were contents of early Ayurvedic works and these things seem to be injected over here. And there is a book over here that talks about antiquity of Hindu medicine that says plants and materials from India were in use in Egypt and he hints at knowledge transfer from India. So this is an example of how Indian medical knowledge is transmitted to Egypt in this early time frame. If you look at the Mitanni's, Hittites and Kessites, The Mitanni's invoked Indra, Varuna and Ashvinis in their peace treaties with the Egyptian pharaohs. So when Egyptian pharaoh Amenhotep fell ill, the Mitanni king sent a sti- healing statue of uh, Shauka. Shauka is like uh, Durga on a lion. So same thing is sent as a healing statue for him and there is that uh, evidence out there. Hittites suffered through 20 years smallpox and they had a deity called Kamru Sepa who was linked with Varuna. And she's supposed to trap the diseased demon in a bronze spot and save lives. If you're in a place where there's a lot of infection into smallpox, you're interested in knowing how to be antiseptic, how to have uh, good water. We know that if you store water in a copper pot overnight, it's got some antiseptic properties. So it recounts an idea that trap the disease demon in a bronze pot and save lives. Very, very interesting. If you look at Babylon, Akkadian medical text, 1800 BCE, it talks about rational examination, looking familiar, right? Rational examination came from Nyaya and other things looking on how to diagnosis and so on. Logic therapy uses exorcism to cure uh, illness due to curses. The Kassite medical letter from Nippur, that also talks about the same thing, based on herbal medicine and spells. So very clearly, mitanni's Hittites, Kassites have been exposed to Ayurveda and Indic knowledge systems. We should not go and see a direct, uh, maybe a clay tablet saying we got it from India. There's no such concept in those days. There's no concept of visa, no concept of foreigners. People come, live, give an idea and people start using those things. So we see echoes of Indian thought in early periods of time. That is what we are looking for over here. Transmission to the Greeks and Romans very clear if you look at Ayurveda it talks about the doshas all the doshas over here maps very clean to uh, Hippocrates model of this uh, uh, yellow bile and uh, black bile and uh, phlegm and blood and hot dry cold wet maps to this very very well. So Hippocrates proposed a system expanded by Galen later. If you see who was Hippocrates, he was a student of Democritus. Democritus was somebody who seems to have intimate knowledge of Vaisheshika Sutra. We talked about this earlier, read Subhash Kak's work, you'll find a lot of these kind of things. Also there were Buddhist transmissions from 5th to 4th century BCE, Indo-Greek contacts from Alexander onwards, 330 BCE. We know, uh, this is a mistake, it's not Alexander's uncle, but we know that Alexander ordered translation of works for Aristotle. We know Library of Alexandria set up in Egypt for transmission of east to west uh, uh, knowledge. All of these things we know were sources how the Greeks could get information like this. Jeff Royal also shows Materia Medica of Greeks Romans borrowed from India and that was a core of the spice state. We have said that they came to Western India for spices, pepper and these kind of things. What they don't tell you was Western India was the pharmacy of the world. If you think why today Kota and all those places make uh, Shavana Prasha and all these kind of medicines, even in the early days they made medicines that was the drugs for the entire world. So uh, that is the core of these uh, transmissions. This is the uh, places in western India from where um, trade would take place from here going on to Greece and so on. Transmission the medieval period also we have works. Uh, Dioscorides, I think I am pronouncing it right. He was a physician's 50 to 70 current era. He wrote a five volume Materia Medica with large number of Indian herbs, recipe for drugs. This was used for 16 centuries in Europe as a medical manual. Spice, herbs, medicinal drugs—all of these things ended when the Christianization of Rome in 330 current era. As soon as Constantine adopted Christianity as a state religion, the trade with India stopped almost overnight, and they went into dark ages. Not only dark ages—they went through illiteracy, and they also went through disease. Disease took hold of them. Why? Because they were no longer getting drugs from India. They were no longer getting spices from India. They were no longer getting the materia medica from India to cure their uh, problems. So. You see Europe suffered a lot of diseases after that time frame. The Byzantine Emperor, he persecuted the Nestorians and they fled to Kerala. These are the Syrian Christians who started around 500 current era, we are told that they came with St. Thomas, I don't think there is any evidence for that. The evidence says that they were Nestorians who came to India and they were the source of transmission to Syria because they had links with Edessa, the bishop at Edessa and they had constant links with them all the time and that formed uh, trade links from all the way from Kerala to uh, Syria. Nestorians and Greeks fled to Jandishapur in, in Persia in 530 current era, and that was a center for Indian medicine and learning. We know about Anushirwan who sent his vizier, this Borziu, to India to get medical texts, and this is a picture in today's Tehran courthouse of uh, this king Anushirwan. Eastward also, we have a lot of information about eastward transmission of Indian medicine. We know Silk route was used, Buddhist transmission route. The fact that Boer manuscript was found in the Silk Route in Xinjiang province is an example of how Indian knowledge also was part of trade with the uh, eastern parts and western parts of the world. Ideas of hot and cold, yin, yang, dhyana to zen, all those things are there. Fahyan who came to India made several observations similar to Bodhidharma, Shaolin and uh, Huensang and uh, Yixing and others. And we also have a curious uh, poem by somebody called Liu Yuxi who says a Brahmin priest physician who bestowed eyes this turns out to be Nagarjuna who was a Buddhist actually not a Brahmin and he practiced cataract surgery cataract surgery from Sushruta Samhita and he saved uh, Chinese eyes and she wrote a poem for him and it survives to the present time that he is somebody bestowed eyes on them so very very amazing so we know about these transmissions Transmissions to Muslim lands we know once um, uh, Sindh fell to the Muslims, Manka who went to the court of Harun al-Rashid translated Shushruta Samhita, used by Ibn Sina, and these medical texts form the foundation of uh, European medicine from 12th century onwards. We know about Al Tabari who wrote comparative works of Greek and Indian medicine and this person Allah Ibn Ali who translated Charaka Samitha to Persian And all this knowledge was transmitted into Spain. All these were under Muslim control from uh, Sindh onwards to Arabia to North Algeria to all these places up to southern Spain. So Indian knowledge was taken and injected over here. And we know about uh, Al-Kindi who translated many of these things and wrote works on mathematics, medicine, astronomy and so on. In Toledo, we know that there were Christian monasteries whose only job was to translate from Arabic into Latin. And that formed the basis of many of the European works too, and that's how their corpus of knowledge also built. They used, excuse me, they used uh, astronomy, they used uh, uh, translations on mathematics, on medicine, and this formed the corpus of their own works for the Renaissance and such thing. Colonial period. I'm not even going to read this. A whole lot of uh, people who took Indian knowledge. This person in Goa. He wrote this particular book uh, on Ayurveda, translated to Latin by this particular uh, Clusius. Botanist Hendrik van Reed, he came to Malabar and wrote this with the physician's help. Johann Koenig, he was a pupil of Carl Linnaeus, a very famous botanist. He was a source for Linnaeus' works on botany. He's described about the plants of India and so on. Bartholomew Ziegenberg, who collected many, many Tamil medical works and other such works, 1712. Here's a bibliography of all his uh, works over here and other people. So medical colleges in India, that was in Pondicherry, Madras, and Kolkata, they were teaching Ayurveda for the longest time because their own medicines did not cover what should be done. (coughs) Their pharmacology was entirely making drugs out of Ayurvedic preparations. However, all that stopped in the late uh, 1880s or so, after they had digested all of Indian medical knowledge and they had their own chemical processes in making drugs. So after that, the western uh, uh, education system started. So conclusion from this section is that enormous antiquity for Indian medical knowledge, the roots in Atharava-Veda, we talked about Shushruta and Charaka. Ayurvedic medicine was transferred to all parts of the ancient world, Egypt, Babylon, Greece, transferred to West Asia and Europe in medieval and colonial times. After digestion of this knowledge, the practice of uh, Ayurvedic knowledge was discouraged. Today, scientists are rediscovering fundamental truths about uh, body-mind effects for cure. So it's 303. I will uh, very quickly talk about roots of music and we will stop after that. So typically when we hear about music, the, uh, the received wisdom is music arose independently in various parts of the world, in India, in Greece, in China, in all these places, music independently arose. We'd like to examine some of these assertions and see how, uh, how, how, how real is those things. We are told that universal music is universal language, however, it became a standard. And we had to ask how is it that it was standardized? If it was universal and arose independently, we would expect variation in the way music is formed, but there's a standard that we see. So uh, some questions, how did cinderly space scales evolve in Indian and Western music? What accounts for commonality of instruments? We'll do a very, very brief investigation. So Indian music, we know that ancient period from the most ancient times to 12th century, medieval period, 13th to 18th century, and the modern period. And there are several things to uh, learn about when we talk about Indian medis- uh, music. Not going to go into all of these things. If you look at Chandogya Upanishad, it talks about division of the octave into 22 parts. 22 parts is something alien to most of us because we are we know about the seven-tone music, we know about the 12 semitone music, but 22 parts. So basically, this is Sa, You have re, gama, pada, ni, sa. This is seven notes over here, and here you have the semitones, the 12 semitones, and here are the 12 shrutis. Now each of these, remember in India every knowledge system was deeply tied with the philosophy of the land. So music was also associated with uh, divinities and uh, swaras. That is the earliest uh, way music was seen. If you look at the evolution of the scale, in the beginning Samagana only used three notes as Anuddhatta, and Swarita. Later on it evolved into the seven tone music that we see here. Now one important question is what was the reference for Indian music? In other words, today if you get a musician to do some work for you, he's going to get a pitch pipe. That's what the Europeans use. A pitch pipe will tell you that this is the pitch of the A note, this is the pitch of the C note, pitch of something else. Today you have on your iPhones and phones, you've got a, a tonal generator that can tell you what the reference tones are. In ancient India, the reference tones were the sounds of these animals over here. So the sound of the Heron was this ma, goat was ga and bull was this re and so on. So this was the reference notes that was told for Indians because how do you communicate to somebody from north to the south that this is the sound of sa, this is the sound of re, it could be anything right. So the reference notes were uh, these things. So the relation between east and west the 12 shrutis are mapped to 12 semitones as shown this over here. In the European practice the octaves divide into 12 semitones of exactly the same width they use the concept of sense. So the entire octave is divided to 1,200 cents and each division here is 100. C to C sharp is 100, C to D is 200 and so on and so forth. So that is a division of the scales seen in uh, Western music. The tonal relation between Carnatic, Hindustani and Western, we see that in Carnatic these are the names, very similar names, with slight differences in the Hindustani, not going to read all these things. And here is the equivalent uh, Western notes associated with these things. These are 12 semitones. Now we come to the interesting aspect. There appears to be transmission from Samaveda to the Greeks. And we see that the oldest form of Samavedic scale was pentatonic gamut, arrived at by quintal tuning. i have not going uh, uh, go into great details about this, but in this particular work by this gentleman over here, Fadigon, he says that he talks about Pythagoras. And he says about Pythagoras, how we lived at the same time as the Upanishads, and the same time about uh, these things and he talks about silver sutras and he says, by analogy for the present surmise, the minute study of musical intervals in India took place at the end of the Vedic period. That apart, the bottom line is there seems to be exposure of Pythagoras to not only the Upanishads but also the silver sutras. So let's take a look at this. Pythagoras is seen as a father of western uh, music. So he evolved something called a Pythagorean scale. The Pythagorean scale is this F, C, G, D, A, E, B derived from circle of fifth. This is a very, very uh, musical uh, terminology where you jump from one note to the fifth note. That will give you from F to C is the fifth note. Fifth note is G, fifth note is D, fifth note is A. This way you can do the whole thing. Now if you put it in order from C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, you'll get a pattern of the major scale. It's tone, tone, semitone, tone, 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 tone semitone this is the same as uh, for example um, uh, shankarabharanam tune in uh, raga in uh, southern india the same tone tone semitone tone 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 semitone uh, same same pattern over there so these are the notes in uh, uh, in c major and in, uh, in in the sequence interval like i said over here so pythagoras used the ratio of 3 is to 2 what is more important the number 3 was important for him we know that in india the number 3 has got very sacred uh, uh, meanings he also used the 3 to ratio the 3 to ratio is what gives you the circle of fifths to get the scales and other such things so uh, by doing that you the various other kinds of music ionian and uh, i'm not going to go with lydian and all these things you get that so bottom line from c you see g is the 3 to 2 ratio from c to g from G to D would be a 3 to 2 ratio. From D to A would be a 3 to 2 ratio. That is the bottom line. I know it's very mathematical, but the bottom line is Pythagoras made use of ratios from the chord to do that. So uh, if you look at the seven-note Lydian scale, same as the Kalyani Raga, you can. Uh, I'm not going to read all these things, but three whole notes, semitone, two more whole notes, and final semitone. If you look at the tonal frequencies of the Indian music system, and the western music system, it is very clear to me that these are related. It cannot have been an independent development and getting the same tonal frequency difference from each other. I am not going to go into great details over here but uh, it is clear by studying these things you figure out these. So the, we talked about silva sutras, we talked about how there is a lot of mathematics in silva sutras and from Silver Sutras to Pythagoras. Pythagoras is known for his Pythagorean theorem. He believed in the idea of soul transmigration, what is today known as reincarnation, pure vegetarianism, no meats, beans or wine, and the constant working towards an attainment of bodily purification and purity to be able to interact the divine, meaning universe. In other words, he's in- internalized Vedantic ideas greatly. Not only is a vegetarian, he says your constant goal in life is to attain Brahman. That is his uh, thinking over here. He saw music as a holy, spiritual, scientific endeavor, which is exactly the same in India. In India, music did not start with Bollywood music. It started with uh, Samaveda uh, hymns. It started over there. That was a first part of music started with liturgical, it was uh, holy. So he saw the same thing. So he promoted what became the basic fundamental idea of music theory that by dividing the length of a string, that's very important, dividing the length of a string, ratios of halves, thirds, quarters, fifths, he can create a musical interval. So now this is exactly the same as Sulva Sutra. Sulva Sutra, all of mathematics are the string. They take a string, divide it into ratios and teach how we can do ratios, how we can do mathematics and other such things. So Pythagoras came to India, studied Sulva Sutra studied all these mathematics, studied these ratios and he seems to have taken exactly the same music into western notation and that became the foundation of western music from there on. Of course in India we don't see harmonic music the way there is uh, in the west today of harmonies over there. We don't see that but we see a lot of melodic music in India with the raga system and and so on. So Pythagoras is not going to read all these things, we already talked about how is a vegetarian curriculum and transmigration of souls Interesting connections, Indian music, Syllabh Sutra, math with strings. Pythagoras used string ratio to define notes. Samaveda started with three notes. Three sacred for Pythagoras, three by two ratio starting with point for scale. He didn't use one by two. He didn't use that kind of a thing. He used three by two. It's very, very critical. Samaveda swara system of seven notes, diatonic music of seven notes. From 22 shrutis we get 12 semitones and seven swaras. From 12 semitones, seven notes. Swaras are associated with divinities. Music used for Samaveda chants initially. He saw music as holy and spiritual. Even he did not say music is for entertainment. He started as a spiritual endeavor. And we have Saraswati as a patron of learning and music. And he actually erected a statue of muses outside the library uh, where he lived. Because that was a patron of uh, music and learning. Just like Saraswati was patron for us. The muses were divinities, female divinities who were also for learning in uh, Greek, the patron of learning and music. Very, very interesting connections. So um, interesting question, which came first? The chicken and egg question. Did scales come first or did musical instruments come first? (laughs) What came first? So evolution of musical instruments. We see in Bimbetka 12,000 years ago, we see evidence of uh, dancing. Take a look at this figure over here. You see drumming and you see all these things. already some evidence of uh, music over there. It's mentioned the Rigveda. Veda. Rig has got this Nali similar to a flute and the Dundubi which is a drum and the uh, Veena and uh, other such things are also mentioned. I'm not going to go into detail over here. We have uh, a Natya Shastra compiled by Bharat Muni. We have several uh, stringed instruments, wind instruments, percussion instruments and instruments that do not require tuning. You see evidence of that in sculptures and uh, so on. The Bansuri flute, which is mentioned Rigveda, Natya Shastra. There's also a flute in Harappa. Harappa also has got evidence of a flute that is over there. The Veena, percussor of string instruments, mentioned in Rigveda, Atravaveda, Taitriya Samhita, Shatapata Brahmana, Natya Shastra. So we see an evolution of Veena over there. Here's a figurine showing the Veena. There's a gentleman in New Delhi, I believe, who is recreating uh, Harappan music by uh, taking Harappan sounds and recreating instruments. For example, this bull and creating this, his name is Shail Vyas. Look him up and he's got some very interesting uh, works that he's doing. Nadaswaram. Nadaswaram is an ancient instrument used in southern India and I believe it could have been an inspiration for the trumpet as mentioned in Sangamira Tamil works as well as in the story of Kanagi in this particular work. Ramana Hatab, we know ancestor of violin. I don't even want to say all these things but there is a, a book that talks about the antiquity of this, how the Arabs introduced this to the Middle East and this is Rebab. This is a Rebab in Cairo and from there it went to Europe and became the violin. So this is the ancient precursor of the violin. Drums, we find rhythm percussion earliest is in uh, China, 5000 BC. We find very closely associated with the uh, Shiva symbolism. And the Western claims are 40,000 B.C. the flute was in, uh, invented in Europe, in harp in Mesopotamia, in trumpet in Egypt, violin in Italy, piano and guitar. 35,000 years ago there seems to be a bone flute from Germany and there's some skepticism. Is that a flute or the chewing of bones by bears? <laughs> That's not very clear and by looking at this we can't tell the tonal ratio, what kind of sounds would have come it just means sounds, not tones or scales or any such thing. 8,000 years ago from China in a grave they they found these bones from this bird, bird's bones are hollow remember, so they use the bird bones to make hollow, uh, flutes and it appeared to have a seven hole having a rough scale with a modern octave. So that appears to be there in China from 8,000 years ago. I. I think that if you look at China, that's a good mirror to what could have been in India because Chinese were strongly influenced by Indians. So if you find it over there, there's a good chance that it could have been influenced by India too. So here's a grave where they found the flutes. In Sumeria, this particular article, she says that the earliest scores are there. Scores are where you can we communicate your musical information using uh, notes. So she claims that uh, uh, a particular work in cuneiform turned out to be a musical score in the Lydian scale. Egypt, we see evidence of uh, music and dance and uh, once again evidence of lute in uh, Egypt, a very ancient period of time. From Greece, 1300 BCE, you find uh, some evidence of the earliest lyre with seven strings held by a man. we know about the Hemachandra numbers, how it leads to rhythm patterns, very recently popularized by Manju uh, Manju Barga, Mathematics of music leads to rhythm and scales. So he talks about how the short syllable is one beat, long syllable is two beats, and the problem of how to fit in a certain number of beats into an eight note interval and so on. That gave rise to enormous uh, numbers of binary ways of doing these things. So he talks about that. Look at Poetry, Daisies and Cobra by his work. You can see that. Or you might listen to this B.C. Manjanath who does an amazing uh, performance of this Fibonacci sequence in this conical uh, rhythm pattern. Again, the idea is that in India, mathematics was deeply tied to rhythm with music and other such things. So concluding remarks, roots of music in Samaveda, division of octave, shruti and swara is as ancient as Chandoga Upanishad. 3-note to 7-note music evolution via 5-note. Examine Pythagorean music. I propose a study of silbosilthra to show evolution of scale Western music, antiquity of instruments, and showed connection between math, cross and rhythm. And this is my big conclusion over here. We talked a lot today. I'm not sure whether I succeeded in communicating or putting you to sleep, but uh, at any rate, Indian civilization arcing back to enormous antiquity, we traced knowledge systems, showed methods of Indian astronomy, antiquity in astronomical measurements, and we talked about some astronomers, antiquity of medical systems, impact on all ancient modern civilizations, root of mathematics in Vedic era, medieval mathematics transfer to West Asia, Europe, and present day narratives use faulty, biased methodologies and do not acknowledge Vedic Hindu history or contributions. So that is the grand end of my talk. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.